I, uh, last week, I said I was kind of shocked about the number of people in the room that raised their hand that said they knew how to drive a straight drive. But, but I got home and started thinking about it. I thought, this is South Carolina. I mean, we've got tractors and stuff. I didn't specify cars. But when I was thinking about the number of people in the room that know how to drive a straight drive, I, I couldn't help but thinking about the time when, when I was learning. My dad took me and taught me how to drive a straight drive, and he took me to a gravel hill to learn. And uh, lots of cuss words, lots of cuss words, lots and lots and lots of cuss words. And, uh, and he said some too. But anyway, I, I, was, on, I, was, I was trying to do this, and I, the, I can't even count the number of times I stalled out. And, and if you've ever driven a straight drive, you've stalled out before, right? And it's completely embarrassing. So, but once you learn how to drive, like after that day, I figured, you know what? I'm good. I'm good from now on. I'll never stall again. I'm awesome. And then probably about a week later, I'm driving my dad's truck, which was a straight drive, and I'm on a hill at a stop sign. And, and I was fine until a car came up behind me. And then I started like sweating and freaking out a little bit, and I stalled out. And that's like, <laughs> And I was, I freaked out so much. It's not, no lie. I put, I pulled the emergency brake up and I got out and I just told the guy, go around, just go around. So I'm having car trouble. I don't know. I was, it's broken. It's, it's broken. Just go around. And I stood there directing traffic until nobody was behind me because getting stalled is embarrassing. Is it not when you're in traffic? But here's the thing that I also remembered is, is when we get stalled, when our car stalls, when we're driving a straight drive, we don't, we don't take our keys out of the ignition get out of the car and say, this is worthless. No, getting installed is just a part of the process. You push the clutch in, you put it in neutral, you crank it up and you get started. Now, the reason I bring all that up is because I said last week that what COVID did to our country, I feel like is it stalled a lot of people spiritually. And there's some people in this room and there's people watching online and you look back over 2020 and and, and maybe you stalled out a little bit spiritually. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're still feeling stalled today. If you don't walk away with anything today, I want you to walk away with this, that just because you're stalled, it does not mean you're stuck. When we, when we get stalled out spiritually, it doesn't mean we have to stay there. I said last week, and um, I want to repeat it again, I believe that there is going to be another great revival, another great awakening that hits America before the, next, before the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe it's getting ready to happen. I believe it's going to happen through the local church. I asked a question in a couple services last week. Why not here? Why not now? Wouldn't it be crazy for God to do something miraculous all over the world that started in Anderson, South Carolina? Can you see him talking to his angels? Anderson, South Carolina. Where? Anderson, South Carolina. Where? This is how I explain it. You know where Greenville is? Yeah, near there, all right? So that, that's, what, that's how we're known. That's how we're known. But wouldn't it be crazy? So, so if God's going to do that, then, then we have to make a shift. There, there's some shifts that have to take place in our life. And we, we started talking about those last week. We started talking about them in the book of Esther. And I want to review the first two shifts before we go into the last two shifts today. Y'all good with that? Awesome. Here we go. We said shift number one was refuse to settle for your shadow mission. Now, just a quick reminder, a shadow mission is, is the enemy's plan for our life. God's got a plan for our life, and so does the devil. But he's not trying to get us to become crack-smoking axe murderers, which I don't know where that illustration came from. It's just, it's, I know it's super dark, but he wants us just to get one degree off 
from where God wants us. Because if he can give it, get us one degree off over time, he'll get us to the place that we're so far away from what God wants for our lives that we start to doubt whether or not we could ever make it back. And so, and so, and all of us have a shadow mission. And we said last week, we talked about King Xerxes' shadow mission. We talked about Haman's shadow mission. We talked about Queen Esther and even the temptation for her to settle for a shadow mission. And then we said also, um, ask for the help of Jesus and others because Esther was going to go before the king and she knew she could lose her life doing that. So she told Mordecai, hey, get, get all the Jews to fast for me and I'm going to go in in front of the king and if I perish, I perish. So she had all these people praying for her. She was praying, she was asking God for help and she's getting ready to go in to the king. We talked about how we can't do it without asking God, what do you want for my life? And then being connected to a local church. And remember, we talked about that and we compared it to Clemson and Death Valley and got a couple comments on that. It was fun. I'll read those another time out loud, unfiltered. This is the third one. Y'all, Facebook has been pretty interesting this week. And it's, don't worry, it's in the message. No, I worked it in. I worked it in. I worked it in for you, Karen. I worked it in. I worked it in. Step number three, believe that God does his best work in his time. In his time. Don't you wish that God would just give you what you wanted when you wanted it? Yeah. yeah. Except if he would have done that, you'd be with that boy in the eighth grade <laughs> that you met at the skating rink. You don't even know his name. Can't even remember him. He's just the cute boy. I, uh, I hate to wait. I hate to wait. That's why, I, y'all remember when Baskin Robbins used to be around and you got behind the sample lady? It was always a lady. I'm not being sexist. It was always a lady. She's like, mm, can, I try, uh, can I try the vanilla? <laughs> or this is even better. When you, have you ever gone to Starbucks? And listen, I know this is crazy but you actually went there to get coffee. I, I know, insane. I'm in, li- I'm in line to get coffee, and I got behind the drama drink person. You, you know the drama? Hey, I want you to put this milk in it. I want you to do this. I want you to pull it down and, and whip it and spank it. And I'm like, dear God, what are we doing with this coffee? <laughs> Am I in the right place? So I hate to wait. All of us hate to wait. And if we're honest, a lot of us right now are probably in a season of frustration, and we're frustrated because... If God would just do what we ask him to do, everything would be great. But God works best in his time. And and the reason I say this is if you're experiencing some frustration right now, maybe you should just pause and pray, God, show me this situation from your perspective. Because Esther, Esther's getting ready to go in to the king. And remember, if he doesn't extend the golden scepter, she's dead, right? I I like that. I told the staff this week, I'm like, we're going to start doing that when we get our offices in back. You come in the office, I'm going to have this gold. I didn't say that. Anyway, here we go. On the third day of the fast. On the what day? Third day. Huh. You know, y'all, y'all know how I tell you all the time how Scripture always points to Jesus? Yeah. What, what else happened on the third day? Resurrection. See, every once in a while in the Bible, Jesus, even in the Old Testament, Jesus just kind of poke his head up and go, what's up? And that, that's just a, just, it's just, the whole, all the Bible points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. So on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes like Jesus put on new, okay, I gotta stop. Okay, and entered the inner court of the palace. 
just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, here we go, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. And then he says, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Now, let me pause real quick. This was like a figure of speech. He didn't literally mean, I'll give you half the kingdom. This was him saying, sweetheart, I'm in a good mood. Tonight, I'll let you hold the remote control. <laughs> Which is a kind of like a half the kingdom thing. It's a, it's a big deal, right, man? Can I get an amen from the men in the room, all right? So, so Queen Esther, at, at first, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a win. Now, let's, let's play a game called it's probably true. And let's see if we can all agree on, on something. It's probably true that for the most part, women are more emotional than men. True? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know there's the exception. You're here and you're like, I'm tough and my husband cries. I know, I know. There's the, with some, some of us guys, we just cry, okay? I, I'm sorry, but for the most part, women are more, so you would almost expect Esther to go, Wah! and just kind of go off on the king. But see, Esther had people praying for her. And God gave Esther, I, I see this in this text so clear, two things. Which is, consider this, Esther had never been to school. She wasn't educated. Women weren't allowed to go to school during this time period. It was highly probable that she was illiterate. She couldn't read. So what we're about to see next, and two things that I'm going to point out, came directly from her praying and others praying for her. The first thing that God gave her was wisdom. And I love it in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, if any of you, and if any of us lacks wisdom, and that's me, by the way, that we should ask God. I had another friend tell me this one time, and I've never forgotten it. He said, I would rather have one God idea than a thousand good ideas. And God will give us the wisdom that we need as we step into these situations. The second thing that he gave Esther was self-control. Because Esther didn't just go off on this king. He, he could have said, or she could have said, you're a horrible leader, you're not paying attention, you're, you're pathetic, and she would have been right. She'd have been dead, but she'd have been right. Now, self-control, <laughs> Shannon, my wife and I were talking yesterday, and she said, baby, one of the things I admire about you is your self-control. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're about to see the bad part. <clears throat> because most of the time, especially when it comes to food, I'm in control. We are entering October, November, and December, and that's where it, the wheels come off. It starts with Halloween candy. Uh, you listen, listen, we're not having trick-or-treaters at our house, and it's not because I don't like to celebrate Halloween. It's because all the candy that we get for the trick-or-treaters, if Shannon leaves me alone with it for five minutes, it's gone. I'll eat stuff I don't like. Like, for example, I don't like candy corns. I don't like them. I don't like candy corns. I think they're awful. You put a bowl in them, of them in front of me, I'll eat the whole thing and tell you I don't like them. I hate these things. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> Self-control. 
And then after Halloween, Thanksgiving, and then after Thanksgiving, Christmas, where you got white chocolate and mint. Listen, you throw white chocolate and mint on something, you can make white chocolate mint poo-poo balls, and I'll eat every one of them, all right? I I love, and I have no self-control. And I think one of the things that we need more of in the body of Christ is self-control. Esther could have absolutely gone off on the king, but God gave her wisdom, And God gives her self-control. I want you to watch what she does because it's brilliant. Watch this. This is great. And Esther replied, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. Now, Esther knew this king's never turned down a party in his life. Remember, we started out with a 180-day party, and then we had a seven-day party. I mean, this, this guy likes to party. And so he's like, all right, all right, then. That he said, the king turned to his attendants and said, tell Haman, remember Haman was the guy that wanted all the Jews dead? Y'all remember that? Okay, it's important. To come quickly to a banquet, as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. Watch this. And while they were drinking wine, so you know it's about to get interesting. So they're drinking wine. The king said to Esther, now, tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Just a question, side question. For the most part, are women more complicated than men? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you said no, you're a liar. <laughs> not bad. It's, y'all, it's not bad. You pay attention to details. Women pay attention to details. Men, we don't pay attention to details. Like women, if you, you, got, you, you know all, like the children in your home, you know their names, you know their ages, you know their blood types. Men are vaguely aware of small people running around his house. That, that's what we don't know. Which one are you? I, mean, I have no idea. So watch what happens. Watch what happens. Because you would expect Esther to say, hey, listen, we got a problem. I was wondering if we could talk about it, but watch what she does. Watch this. Esther replied, this is my request and Deepest wish. King's leaning in. Haman's leaning in. Everybody stops. Servants aren't doing anything. Everybody's just leaning in. And this is what she says. If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. Now, if I'm the king, I'm like, dear God, woman, what do we, why can't you just say it? And I'm sure some of you are wondering, because when I was reading through this for the very first time, I'm like, what, what is she doing? But she's been given wisdom and self-control. Now, remember last week we said that the king hadn't summoned her in 30 days. So what she's doing here is she's reestablishing a connection with the king. And how do you, what's one of the best ways to establish a connection with somebody? You share a meal with that person. Have you ever sat down and shared a meal with somebody and two hours later you're still sitting there and talking? I mean, those are the, some of the best meals ever and the food's good, right? And, and so she's reestablishing the connection and she's getting things set up. And God, remember, God's working in his time. She's being led to do this. And then after this, watch what happens. Watch this, watch this. Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet because he's like, He's getting to go to another banquet, and he's been drinking wine, so he's, he's happy. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, 
not standing up or trembling nervously before him. Haman became furious. Remember last week we said Haman was on a shadow mission. He hated Mordecai. And because of his hatred of Mordecai, he's going to kill all the Jews. Remember that? And so watch what he does. Watch this. However, he restrained himself and went on home. Then Haman gathered together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. He bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted all over all the other nobles and officials. Then Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she's prepared for us, and she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Haman's like, hey, I just got an announcement for everybody. Y'all ready for this? Write this down. I'm awesome. Oh my gosh, I'm so awesome. I'm the most awesome person I know. I'm awesome. That's basically what he told everybody. Then he says this. Then he added, but this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. Now, if I'm there, I might be tempted to say, hold on, Haman, hold on for a minute. You just told about all this stuff you got. You got all these kids. You got all this money. You got all this position. You got all this prestige. And and you're going to call all of it nothing? Haman, how are you going to do that? It's very simple. His shadow mission was, I want more. And when you want more, you can't be thankful for what you have. I heard a guy say this one time, and it just—it was so it's so true. Who who is more blessed and thankful? Who's more blessed? Who's more blessed? The guy with twelve kids, or the guy with a million dollars? The guy with twelve kids, because the guy with twelve kids doesn't want any more. <laughs> right? <laughs> Haman needed a shift to happen. And I'm just kind of curious if there's somebody here that needs this shift today from entitlement to gratitude. Instead of being, instead of being, I don't have this and I don't have this and I don't have this, we just stop and say, you know what, God, thank you that I woke up indoors this morning. Thank you that I had options in my closet. Thank you that I had a food, I had food in my refrigerator. Thank you, God, that I was able to cut the heat on last night. Thank you, God, that I got in a climate control vehicle and drove to church today. Thank you, God, for the things that you're doing in my life. Thank you that there's air in my lungs and there's hope in my heart. Thank you, God, I got a job to go to tomorrow. God, thank you for what I have instead of, I don't have this and I don't have this. And I don't, I, hey, it happened to me this week. It happened to me this week. I'm telling you. I, so, so I did this. I did this post a couple days ago on social media. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's uh, it was meant to be a joke. Some people are like, "Wasn't funny." It was to most people. It was. You just, you're just, you're just, you're, you're bitter. But, um, and and it had last time I looked at it, it had like over five, six hundred comments or whatever. I, I had to quit reading them. I had to quit reading them, but, but there were two that got me. There were two that got me. It was, it, was a, it was a post with me and the devil, and what I was doing is I was like, I, for Pastor Appreciation Month, I would like to thank the devil because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have a job. And it was just, he is funny. And then Karen got on there and started telling me about, you should not glorify the devil. I'm like, you're an idiot. I didn't say, well, I think I might have said that. I think I deleted it. Anyway, <laughs> there are a couple comments on there that got me. 
I mean, it, it, for about two or three minutes, it got me in a bad place. And, and they were in the context of, uh, looks, looks like you're on the bottle again. Looks like you're drinking again. And, and I got mad. I, I typed out four or five responses. None of them I will share from this stage. Not even in this church will I share what I typed out originally. Sometimes I got to just type it out. But then got, I stopped. I stopped. See what the enemy means for harm. God meant for good. And I looked at that comment and I said, you know what? There was a time that I was on the bottle. But that was six years ago. And look what God has done. There, there was a time I couldn't put it down, but today I don't have it. There was, there was a time I was controlled by it, and now it doesn't control me anymore. Thank you, God, for how far you've brought me. They wanted to tear me down with a comment, but God used it to build me up. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate the comment. Woo! So... I'm just saying, anytime the enemy comes at you, you can, you can make this shift to be thankful. Kick him in his teeth. So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. Pastor Pete, why 75 feet tall? Well, he wanted to make a point. Actually, I, I just got that. I, I didn't know he wanted. So what they would do is they would take the pole, they would stick you in the back, would come out your front, they would just hang you in the air. Talk about a sucky way to die. And, and, and I've had people, well, is, there any real, is there really a good way to die? Well, I don't know, but I'm impaled. I'm not signing up for that one. 75 feet in the air. And in the morning, ask the king, to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. This pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole set up. So he's getting a 75-foot pole set up. He's going to impale Mordecai on this pole, and he's going to be in the king's lobby the first thing in the morning because he wants to be the first appointment with the king to say, I want you to impale Mordecai. So while all this is happening, watch this, because this is where it gets crazy. Back in Esther 2, and I didn't share this last week, but back in Esther 2, Mordecai uncovered a plot to assassinate the king. Two of the king's eunuchs were very upset with the king, and they were going to kill him. Some people have speculated why. I don't know. If you made me a eunuch, I'd probably want to kill you too. They were probably talking one day going, it's not fair what the king has done to us. It's in the text. I got, I'm just trying to be true to the scripture, all right? Some of you don't get that. Just ask somebody that's laughing. They'll explain it to you. And so, so Mordecai discovered this plot, he, and he told somebody about what they had planned, and they, the king was saved. The two eunuchs got executed, but nothing happened good for Mordecai. And, and that's where some people in the room, you, you may be thinking, you know what, I, I've tried to do the right thing and nothing good ever happens. But God does his best work in his time. So the very night that Mordecai's on his way to see the king the next morning to ask him to impale Mordecai, watch what happens. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. Out of all nights, he just happened to have trouble that night. We said 
last week that God's not, God's not specifically mentioned in the story. But who do you think was keeping the king up? He couldn't sleep. And so he ordered the, an attendant to bring the book of history of his reign so it could be read to him. I don't know if you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to read to go back to sleep. But see, the king didn't have to read because he had somebody to read for him. He woke up and he was like, I can't sleep. Read me a book. King, what book would you like? Read me the book about me. I like that book. He's so obsessed with himself. But it turned out, see, God can use anything for the good. So he's, they're reading to him the book about him. And, and in those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai, who, who does Haman want to kill? Mordecai, right. How Mordecai had exposed the plot of Big Thana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. And Xerxes is like, oh my gosh, I remember that happening. What, what did we do for Mordecai? And the attendant said, well, we didn't, he didn't get reward money or anything like that. And the king's like, we, man, we got to do something for this guy. We got to do something for Mordecai. He said, hey, who's in the lobby to see me? I know I'm an important man. Somebody's out there to see me. I just, somebody's out there. Like, who's out there? And they're like, Haman's in the lobby. Bring him in. Haman walks in. because, And ha why is Haman there? To ask him to kill Mordecai? And the king's like, hey, before you say anything, Haman, I got a question for you. What should be done for the man that the king wishes to honor? And the Bible says in, in Esther 6 that Haman literally thought to himself, who would the king desire to honor more than me? So, so he's like, well, I mean, no king. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about, but, and this was his plan. So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on his head. In other words, king, if you wish to honor somebody, they need to be dripping. Y'all know what dripping is? Yeah, yeah, it's teen slang. It, see, I, every once in a while, I'll dress up kind of nice, and if I ever look nice, it's because Shannon and Karis made sure I look nice before I left the house, because I walked out before, and they're like, you can't wear that. You should, no, you can't. You can't wear that at all. And so I, I didn't know what dripping meant, though. So several months ago, I'm walking up this back hallway to go to the first time in the area, and one of our teenagers walked up and said, Pastor P, you're dripping. I mean, I'm over 50. Sometimes you can't control it, right? I was like, somebody should have told me I was dripping. Like, no, man, you're like, you're, you're dripping. And, and they could tell, they said, you look nice. I'm like, why couldn't you just freaking say you look nice? You got me all, I thought bladder splatter had happened and I was, I'm all nervous and stuff. But, but keep that in mind. I mean, the, the, the person needs to be dripping. Even the horse is dripping, right? Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robe and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the official shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. 
Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. Hollywood couldn't have scripted it better than this. Let me pause. Hollywood couldn't script anything good. I think Hollywood has become one of the most uncreative people, places in the world. Seriously, how many more freaking Batmans are we going to have to sit through before they come up with something good? Batman does this. Batman does this. Batman does this. But how about Batman never shows a movie again? How about that right there? Anyway, this is, yeah, a couple of people are like, yeah, hey, Batman. Um, this is crazy. Can you imagine what, hap- this, what happened to Haman internally? When this took place, as he's, hey, listen, can can we agree? God was fighting for Mordecai behind the scenes. God was fighting battles for Mordecai that Mordecai wasn't even aware of. Would you agree? He's doing the same for you. Somebody here needs to hear this today, and this has been in my spirit all week long. God's fighting for you. God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you. God does not abandon his children. You don't see him fighting, but just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And God's going to bring you through this situation. And when you come out the other side, your enemies will be humbled and you will be dripping. Now we get to the good part. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet after he led Mordecai. This is great, right? On the the second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, tell me what you want. Queen Esther, what is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Please, woman, dear Lord, ask something. And watch what she does, because this is so brilliant. This is one of the most, and I've never seen this, in the, I've never seen this until, I'm, until I was preparing this talk. Watch this. Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with a king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. Now, why did she say my life? Because the king cares about her. He didn't care about this random group of people. He didn't even know them. But she said, my life. In other words, she, she's working her connection to the king. And then she goes on to say this, for my people and I, once again, she keeps connecting it to herself, have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had been merely sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. In other words, she said, I I hate to bring this to you, but it's kind of a big deal. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? It worked. It worked. He didn't say who would be presumptuous to touch all those people. He said, who would be presumptuous to touch you? And this is beautiful. Esther replied, this wicked Haman is my adversary? Mm Mm-mm our adversary. She flipped the script on the enemy. See, when you're walking in the power of God, you have the ability 
to flip the script on the enemy. He has no control over you. He has no authority over you. He has no power over you. That's what she's doing. This is great. This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman Grupel. In the Hebrew, it says Haman sharded. <laughs> I was just saying, say, I made that up. That's why, that's why he grew pale. He grew pale here, but his face didn't, his pants didn't grow pale because he, I mean, isn't that true? Like, wouldn't you have messed yourself if you're Haman? You're like, hell. <laughs> Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Now the stage is set because the king's out here mad. Haman's freaking out. And I'm sure Esther's sitting there going, I think this is going to work. I think this is going to work. Watch what happens. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. So he falls on the couch, almost looks like he's attacking the queen. The king walks back in and said, will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face signaling his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole to stand 75 feet tall. It's in the text. Haman has set up a sharpened pole to stand 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impel Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination, then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. God fought Mordecai's battles for him, and God's fighting for you. He's absolutely fighting for you. Which leads me to the last point, and it's not as long as that point. So we all like, dear God, we're going to be here to one. We're not going to be here to one. We'll get you out by 1245. <laughs> Step number four, be all about other people. Be all about other people. When Clay Lauder was here a couple of weeks ago, he said one of the best cures for depression is to, to volunteer, to go do something somewhere. And I never will forget, when I went to rehab and got back, I was working with a, a therapist, and he said, you need to volunteer somewhere in the community. I said, where? He said, just anywhere, in the, just, just go volunteer, just go do something for somebody. I said, well, can you be a little bit more specific? And he said, just, he said go to a school. He said, go to a local elementary school and, and see if they not, like need like a big brother, like a role model type thing. I'm like, this is Anderson. I don't think I'm going to get in the big brother program. He said, you might be surprised. Then I was because I went to a, a local elementary school and I just said, hey, you know, do y'all have anything like this? And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you'd be perfect. So they, they connected me with this little third grade kid and um, we'll just call him Andre. That wasn't his real name, but we'll just call him Andre. And Andre, um, the first time I met him, I was so nervous because I was in the lunchroom. And, and, and the lunchroom hadn't changed in, in 40 years. Like, when I, it looked the same as that was when I was in school. Same lunch ladies and everything. Little hairnets, I mean, just little green trays. I was like, oh. We sat down at a table that was built for third graders. Me, so me and Andre, I look like Andre the Giant sitting with Andre. He started asking questions. He's like, what's your name? I was like, my, my name is Perry. He said, what you do? 
I said, well, I'm out of work right now. He said, oh, you ain't got a job? I said, well, I mean, it's a little complicated, Andre. I, I had a job. He said, what did you do when you had a job? I said, I was a, I said, I was a preacher. He said, well, you preach. I said, well, Andre, I don't preach anymore. He said, why'd you get fired? I said, why don't you stop asking questions, Andre? I didn't say that. That's what I wanted to say, but... But we worked through it. It was, it was a little tense, you know. We kind, of, we kind of got through it. And the second time I went to see him, he was there. And it was just, it was awkward. I don't know how to talk to a third grader. I was just like, hey, hey, hey. Third time I went, I was like, you know what? I think this might be it. I'm done. I don't think I'm cut out for this. And right when I'm getting ready to leave, I'm walking away. And he stopped. He said, Perry. I turned around and he ran. And he, he came up to here on me. He just gave me the biggest hug. He said, hey, man, I love you so much. And you know what? My therapist was right. I thought I was there for Andre, but Andre was there for me. It's amazing when you do something for somebody else, how God will bring it back around to you. We got to be about other people because see a church, if we're not careful, a church can have a shadow mission as well. We can be all about us. Let me give you a couple shadow missions for a church. A, A shadow mission for a church would be, we are a successful church for successful people. That'll drive a lot of people away. A shadow mission could be, we're not growing, but we'll criticize churches that are. That could be a shadow mission. But I want us to be a, a church that's all about, all about people. Because Esther, even though her life was spared and Mordecai's life was spared, I want you to watch what she does. Then Esther went again before the king, falling down at his feet and begging him with tears to stop the evil plot devised by Haman the Agai against the Jews. Again, the king held out the gold scepter to Esther. So she rose and stood before him. And she said, we got to do something about this law. And the king told her and Mordecai, by the way, Mordecai got promoted to Haman's position. So now Mordecai is like the vice president. He went from the guy sitting by the gate to the vice president. He took the place of the guy that wanted to kill him. And so the king tells Mordecai and Esther, listen, the law can't be overturned, but you can write a new law. So Mordecai and Esther write this brand new law, and it tells all the Jewish people, on the day you're marked to be destroyed, you have permission to gather together and defend yourself against any attack. Now, would you call this good news, yes or no? I'll call it good news. So so they they wrote out this decree So urged on by the king's command, the messengers rode out swiftly on fast horses bred for the king's service. The same decree was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. In every province and city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and had a great celebration and declared a public festival and holiday. And many of the people of the land became Jews themselves, for they feared what the Jews might do to them. This was good news. See, if Mordecai and Esther had said, you know what, we're okay. Those other fools are going to have to figure it out. They didn't do that. They said, you know, the freedom that we got, we want other people to experience that too. And second chance, the freedom that we got, I want other people to experience that too. And you know what it's called? You know what it's called? It's real simple. It's called the good news. How desperate is our country for some good news? 
You know what good news is? Good, good news isn't the news that tears people down. Good news is news that builds people up. I was having a conversation the other day with some friends that wanted to talk to one of their friends about the fact that he was consuming way too much alcohol. And they wanted, they, they were like, what do we say to him? What do we say to him? And somebody was like, we just need to tell him to quit drinking. And I was like, yeah, you know, before you say that, I'll kind of walk you through when I was going through that. And people told me to quit drinking. It, number one, it doesn't work. There's not one person in this room that would stand and testify, I was drinking, I had a drinking problem. Somebody came up to me and said, quit drinking or you're going to hell. And I went, oh. Nobody would give that testimony. In fact, when I was had my drinking problem, it got so bad, if you told me to quit drinking, it made me want to go drink more. I said, well, what do we, what do we tell this guy then? I said, you need to tell him the good news. What's the good news? It's real simple. In Christ, you can quit drinking. See how that switches? That's good news. You don't have to live that way anymore. That's what I would tell anybody in this room. If you're struggling with anxiety or depression, we're going to get into that next week. But what I'd tell you this week is, I wouldn't, like when I was dealing with depression, people would be like, you shouldn't feel that way. Okay, I wish I could control that. But you know what helped me is when I discovered the good news. I don't have to feel this way. Yes, how I feel is very real. But the power of God and the Word of God and the Spirit of God over time can bring me through and I can come out on the other side way better than I ever was. It's, 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 it's good news. It's, you don't have to live with that addiction anymore. You don't have to let grief hold you back anymore. You can walk in freedom. You can walk in the knowledge of knowing that God is with you, for you, will never abandon you, and have, has great plans for you. That's good news. That's what the church should be sharing. Not stop, but you can stop. Not quit, but you can quit. Not you can't, but in Christ, you can accomplish immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine. That's who he is. That's what he does. And that's what he will do through us. So y'all stand with me for closing prayer. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for good news, God. I want to pray for the person in this room that needed to hear that you are fighting for them. God, I feel it with all my heart. There's somebody right now watching online, somebody in the room. And God, they felt alone and they felt abandoned and they felt hurt and they felt confused and they needed to hear today, God, that you fight for your children. And you're going to bring them out dripping, God. On the other side, they're going to, it's going to be greater than they ever imagined. Well, heads bowed and eyes closed right now. Maybe, maybe you need to say thank you, God, for reminding me that you're fighting for me today. Maybe you need to switch your attitude from entitlement to thankfulness and just thank him for what he's doing in your life right now. Maybe you need to ask him for his strength and wisdom. Ask him for self-control. 
Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never asked, you've never asked Jesus to come in your life. And hey, here's the good news. Jesus doesn't take bad people and turn them into good people. He takes dead people and brings them to alive people. So if you're here this morning, you know you need to pray to receive Christ. You know that's your next step. Then I want you to pray and ask Christ to come into your life in just a second. I want you to pray it out loud. But you don't have to pray it by yourself because our entire church family is going to pray this with you. Church family, I want you to pray this out loud for the benefit of those that are praying it for the first time. So in this room, if you want to receive Christ, you pray this prayer and we're going to pray it with you as a church family. Just say right where you stand, just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I give my life to you. Come in and take over. In Jesus' name. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you just asked Christ to come in your life, you just prayed that prayer, I want you to do me a favor and I want you to put your hands straight up in the air because I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you all over this room. Hands in the air all over this room. Hands, hands, hands all over the room. Just hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. Father, I want to thank you for hands. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you are changing lives. I want to thank you for the people that you just brought from death to life. I want to thank you, Jesus, for the people in this room today that have heard the good news. I want to thank you for reminding us that you're fighting for us. I want to thank you, God, that even though it seems you're absent, you're with us the entire way. Father, I want to thank you, God, that there's not a single detail in our life that isn't in your hands. So I want to thank you that you are sovereign. You are supreme. You are in control. You have never left us. You have never abandoned us. You have never forsaken us. Thank you, God, that you have greater things for us. We honor you this morning and we declare this in Jesus' name. Everybody that agreed said amen and amen. Are you glad you came to church today? Man, I hope y'all have a great week and we'll see y'all back here next Sunday.